Hey, everybody. If you've been looking for love at first sight, it's closer than you think. It can be found at your local shelter. So this June 7th to June 9th, join the Pedigree Adoption Drive and the Pedigree brand will reimburse your dog adoption fees nationwide. Pedigree knows that bringing a dog into your home not only opens their heart, it can open yours too. Visit pedigree.com slash adoption dash drive to learn more and see full terms and conditions. Hey everyone, Homes.com knows having the right agent can make or break your home search. That's why they provide home shoppers with an agent directory that gives you a detailed look at each agent's experience, like the number of closed sales in a specific neighborhood, average price range, and more. It lets you easily connect with all the agents in the area you're searching so you can find the right agent with the right experience and ultimately the right home for you. Homes.com, we've done your homework. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark with Charles W. Chuck Bryant with Jerry. And we're eating barbecue style. Actually, it's not true. This is, I'm just going to fess up. We don't have any barbecue in front of us, and it sucks. Yeah, you're right. Uh... Vegetarians and vegans may not be interested in this one. It's still interesting. I would never encourage someone to tune out, but um, I have. I do all the time. Do you? Sure. Some jerk writes in. It's like, oh, I don't know how. Oh, it sounds like you're stoking on candy all the time. I'm like, don't go listen to something else, pal. <laughs> okay, I, I see what you mean. I mean, before we record a podcast on the podcast. As we record a podcast at the beginning of the podcast. Oh, gotcha. I don't say like, hey, you might not want to listen to this, but um, yeah, you might not want to listen to this. But I imagine if uh, a vegan saw how barbecue works, they'd probably be like, yeah, I'll just wait. Yeah, they're probably not going to fall for it. Wait for the tofu episode. <laughs> Which we owe them now after yeah. doing this one. I had fried tofu in uh, uh, Chicago. Mm. No, no, no. In Toronto. Okay. At our recent show there. Yeah. It was uh, it was one of those sushi places where they bring you out a little piece of fried tofu. Yeah. Um, oh, man. I can't believe I'm blanking. But yes, I know what you mean. Is that like a, is there a name for it? Mm-hmm. Like the the custom of it or? No, the dish. The piece of fried tofu. Fried tofu with a little maybe ponzu sauce on it and some scallions. Yeah, it's delicious. Uh, this one is okay, but it was, the, it was one of the worst sushi meals I've ever had in my life. Really? Wow. I just chose wrong. Like bad sushi or bad restaurant? Bad everything. I walked in and it's hard to tell because. Um, Agadashi tofu. No, no, no. I, I'm, I won't name it. I don't even remember the name. No, no, no. That's the name of the dish. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, gotcha. Sorry. Um, it, like in LA, some of the best sushi are these strip mall holes in the wall. Sometimes. Sometimes it's not the case though. Sometimes it is, though, Agreed. like literally some of the best sushi yeah. that you don't have to go to some fancy place and spend four hundred dollars. Right. Uh, are these, you know, small family run. Yeah. Uh, run by Japanese people. Sure. Um, This one in Toronto, I looked up afterward and they were like, oh, it's one of those. Apparently, Toronto has a lot of Chinese run sushi places, uh-huh. which get knocked on Yelp and by reviewers. <laughs> yeah. And um, you could also make the case that. um places that serve sushi and Thai food would sure. get knocked on as well. Yeah. I don't usually order sushi at a Thai restaurant. If I go to a Thai place, I want a good Thai dish. Sure. You want like a curry. Put some peanuts in there or something. Throw some peanuts on there. Yeah. But anyway, I chose wrong. And this was a hole in the wall place. So when I walked in, my instinct was like, oh, no. And I thought, no, no, no. Los Angeles, Hollywood, really good stuff at the holes in the wall. Right. Not the case. No. Bad fish bad huh. taste wow. it was just it skeeved me and like if you're skeeved eating sushi yeah that's not a good feeling put down the chopsticks and just ask for the check yeah maybe spit up into your napkin walk away right. <laughs> anyway i don't know why i went off on that what were we talking about fried Bar- tofu barbecue all right yeah we're talking barbecue barbecue this barbecue. one made me hungry dude same here mm-hmm. um one of the things that it really opened my eyes about though was the idea that like people think of barbecue as about as American as it gets, mm-hmm. even though Australians have their own word for it, the Bobby. <laughs> Isn't that pretty good? Sure. And it turns out there's barbecue like all around the world. Yeah. But when you think of barbecue, especially like 
barbecued pork. Right. With barbecue sauce. Right. On like two slices of plain old Dixie Girl white bread. Yeah. That's about as American as it gets. So not just American, like Southern American. Yeah. Barbecue. Yeah. There's actually a strip of land known as the barbecue belt in the United States. That's correct. Basically goes from Virginia down into the Southeast uh-huh. and then over f- across Kansas and then into Texas. That's the barbecue belt in the U.S. Correct. But barbecue is now Mm-mm. every city in the country tries to do their their own hand at barbecue. Sure. Like, I mean, if you go to New York City, you can go eat at a barbecue joint. Right. Uh, and they're trying to do it, you know, they're trying to legit. Yeah, which is fine. They're, but they're trying to not co-opt because that sounds like it's like shady or something. Right. But you know, that you go to New York now and you can get like, you can go to and get fried chicken and biscuits and barbecue and all these people that are like, come to New York City and eat this good old Southern home cooking. <laughs> Have you eaten a fatty queue in New York? No. That's very good barbecue for a New York joint. Yeah, and I just I don't do that because when I'm in New York, why would I get what I is literally surrounding me? Sure. Here, right. I want to go you to get New York. Cloud collage. Yeah, I want to go get go to the Momofuku or something. Yeah, because I don't have that here. Yeah. Get a steam bun. Well, you can get steam buns here. Yeah, but I mean, you could make the case that you should be going to Korea for steam buns. Well, <laughs> that's you know? a good point. But it is true, and there's nothing wrong with if somebody opening a good barbecue joint outside of the barbecue belt. It's I'm just all for it. In the barbecue belt, they don't even think about it. It's just part of the fabric of life. But I guarantee you, if you go to San Francisco to a barbecue joint, you're not going to be the same. It's going to be different. Yeah. It'll be like a Chinese sushi place. <laughs> there you go. That right? was the point of my story. So um, the the point ultimately is that when you think of America having a barbecue belt, you think of barbecue as t- profoundly American. Sure. But it turns out that since you were talking about cultural appropriation, um, that the European settlers who came to the New World mm-hmm. um, actually appropriated it. They, they got the idea for barbecue from the uh, indigenous groups they encountered there. And specifically to start, from what I understand, the whole thing – started on Hispaniola, where Columbus first landed, um, with the Taino Indians. Yeah, I mean, cooking, I guess if you want to talk barbecue, there's a couple of ways to approach it. There is the the noun barbecue, which here in the South, in America, we think of as, like you said, pulled pork, mm-hmm. maybe brisket, smoked wings, and then side dishes like Coleslaw, baked beans, mac and cheese, right. Brunswick stew. Yeah. Uh, oh, man, Brunswick stew. Man, so good. Maybe if you're getting a little wild, maybe like collard greens or fried okra. And that, then monkey eyes. That, <laughs> that sort of starts to, there's a bit of an overlap between southern meat and three cooking and barbecue, especially when it comes to the sides. For sure. Um, and I think all of that actually grew out of church picnics originally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I did some good eating growing up at my church. Sure. Uh, and meat and three, for those of you that don't understand in other countries, that means um, a little small family-run restaurant, usually in the South, that uh, you get a meat and then three sides, mm-hmm. generally served on a, like a cafeteria tray. And we're talking stuff like fried pork chops or fried chicken or... Chicken um, fried chicken. Chicken fried chicken. Chicken fried steak. Chicken fried steak. Steak fried chicken fried steak fried chicken. Uh-huh. Fried. Monkey eyes. Uh-huh. And then all these various sides will be the three. But there's a little bit over that lap with barbecue. But barbecue, the distinction is you're talking about meats that are cooked over a low heat, mm-hmm. uh, generally over a long, long period of time. Yeah, you, Slow hours and hours. Meats, hours and hours. Right. And we'll, what, we'll get into all the subtleties of this. Oh, okay. But that's what barbecue really is. Right. And normally, if you really, if you're a purist, um, it, you're, it's specifically pig. Anything else outside of pig is not barbecue, whether it's chicken, whether it's sausage, whether it's shrimp, whether it's brisket. Yeah. If it's not pig, it's not barbecue, say a substantial portion of barbecue enthusiasts. Uh, I I say you can just take that and, uh, Uh -uh. and run away with it. Take that, take that pig and (laughs) shove it. Well, the, the reason it's actually that, that whole thing kind of is, the crux of that is found in a 1975 Esquire article called My Pig Beats Your Cow. 
which basically argues that if it's not pig, it's not barbecue. And the reason that that would be the case is because barbecue is, it came out of the American South Mm -hmm. as far back as the beginning of the 18th century. And the stuff that they were originally cooking was pig. And the reason why they were cooking pig was because that's what they had available to them. And there was a specific reason for cooking pig, like you said, low and slow, a very long time over a lowish heat. Mm-hmm. It's because the pigs that they were originally cooking <clears throat> were had been turned out to feed, fend for themselves out in the woods. Yeah. Because if you are running low on food because, you know, you're a colonist to a new place where you have no idea what you're doing, you one thing you can do with pigs is say, just go out in the woods and eat some truffles and then we'll come kill you later and eat you. <laughs> well, as they're doing that, they're becoming like kind of like wood ready and like they're leaner, their meat is tougher, yeah. there's less fat. So to cook that kind of food and make it tender, you have to cook it over low heat for a very long time. And that's where barbecuing pig in the South originally came from. That's the origin of barbecue. Yeah, and what's so cool to me is um from the orange oranges from the origins whether or not it's uh I think in 2007 Israeli archaeologists found um a 200,000 year old uh evidence of barbecuing essentially barbecuing wild cattle and gazelle. Mm-hmm. Uh whether it's that or Hispaniola like you were talking about or in the 1500s uh in Spain um or the earliest Native Americans, what's so cool to me is that they learned, they first learned cooked meat good. And then they learned, oh, but very slow cooked heat, uh, meat over low heat. Right. Better. Yeah. You know, like early, early on, they found evidence that in these recipes that they cooked slow and low. Mm-hmm. They actually learned the subtle difference between yeah, this is charred meat. It'll sustain me. It, it's mm-hmm. it, it'll last a little bit longer mm-hmm. and preserve it. And they learn the subtleties that no, it's tender and juicy and delicious. Right. But do it this way. Yeah, it's just amazing to me. Yeah, and again, we've known it for hundreds of thousands of years at least. There's actually a theory that says that the intelligence explosion in humans came about from cooking our food, especially yeah. meat, because it. It requires less energy to digest, Uh which meant we could take a lot of that digestive energy and direct it upward to our brains. And so our brains got bigger and hence we got smarter thanks to cooking our food. Yeah. And there's something too, uh, and they talk about this in the beginning of our article here, um, uh, it being the antithesis of fast food. There's something about investing. There's something about getting up at three in the morning to put your your meat on your smoker. Right. So you can have it ready by midday. Yeah. And tending to it every hour and checking that thermometer and, and uh, drinking beer the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Starting at 3 a.m. Yeah. Um, or continuing from 2 a.m. Yeah. That's, that makes sometimes for a messy <laughs> barbecue. But there's just something to that. I think it's, I think that's one of the big draws for people is it is, uh, it's not something you slap on the grill and serve. 15 minutes later. Right. It's nuanced. And and that's how you build that flavor. Uh, and the, it's an investment in time and you can have the conversations around that fire. And, uh, this one writer put it really neatly, Robert Moss to trace the history of barbecue is to trace the very thread of American history. And there's been books written about it, not just recipes, but about it as a cultural uh, staple in this country. Yeah, it's true. Really, really neat. Well, I'm, I'm hungry. You want to take a break? Ah. So hungry. So we're back, man. I mean, no, that was delicious. That's the sound of me licking sauce off my fingers. Yeah. We uh, took one of Jerry's legs <laughs> and barbecued it. Jerry's too lean. She wouldn't make good barbecue. Well, no, that's why you want to barbecue slow and low. Oh, that's true. So um, 
like you said, there's evidence of us barbecuing as back as far back as 200,000 years. The ancient Greeks um, really advanced barbecuing, which sure is really just a, it's a subtype of of roasting meat. And it's not like if you're like, well, wait a minute, people have been like creating this forever. How can you say barbecuing is American? It's kind of like ketchup. Like, remember ketchup where you think of ketchup as American, but it actually has its origins in a Chinese fish sauce. Right. This is very similar. But like barbecuing wouldn't have come about had humans not been doing this for 200,000 years already. True. This is just a, a kind of a nuanced version of it. Right. Yeah. Um. So around the world, people roast meat in various ways. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, um, in medieval England, they found evidence. They actually have a taxidermied um, sample of of this breed of dog called the turnspit. And um, no, 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 it was really cute. So this this small dogs, they look kind of dachshundy, were bred to run on treadmills or little hamster wheels. Oh, okay. To, that was connected by a chain to the spit. So it turned this huge um, piece of meat a in huge, the fireplace. A huge dog. <laughs> no, they were small dogs, but they were stout. <laughs> I'm saying they were. Oh, oh, they were turning the huge dog. Yeah. yeah. They're like, better him than me. Yeah. Um, and that was in medieval England. Well, you could make a really good case that turning a hunk of meat on a spit very slowly off an indirect flame, that's barbecuing. Sure. But it's not barbecuing. It, because it didn't come out of the American South cooking pork specifically. But um, the a lot of people from the South and West of England ended up in the American South. <clears throat> and that's kind of one of the ways that it started to grow there. Yeah. So let's let's just quit dilly dallying. OK. DeSoto. Well, first Columbus shows up, encounters the uh, Taino Indians on Hispaniola, mm-hmm. who are would have been related to um the Haitians and the uh, Dominicans today. Yes. Uh, and I believe people in Puerto Rico too. Um, so the, the Taino Indians had this method of cooking meat where they used green wood, like fresh saplings. Yeah. So that it wouldn't catch fire and therefore wouldn't char the meat either. Right. Lots and, of smoke. And they cooked meat, like probably goats or something like that mm-hmm. over this, this low heat for a very long time. So, I think Columbus encountered it, but definitely um, Hernando de Soto did as well when he arrived in North America. Correct. And supposedly the first European attended barbecue took place outside of what's today Tupelo, Mississippi in 1540 with de Soto, who is the guy who brought pigs to the new world. Could have been my family. So it was a roasted pig, Chuck's family. Hernando de Soto and the Chickasaw tribe who lived around there. Yeah. Pretty that amazing. was the first, the first barbecue in North America featuring pig. Yeah. And as you'll see, uh, as we go, barbecue is a very social experience uh, that has weaved its way through uh, churches and gatherings and uh, civic groups and American politics. And we'll get into all that, but it's, uh, it's, it's not surprising that there's evidence of a group of people getting together like any shared meal but with barbecue it's just going to be longer well yeah and supposedly that arose out of the slaughtering of a pig was a big deal yeah sure you had a lot of meat on your hands Mm -hmm. they used everything from the snout to the tail of the pig so you had a lot of stuff and it was way more than your family was going to eat so it was an occasion for the whole community or at least all the neighbors to be invited over to share in this wonderful food and that's where barbecues being a social gathering came out of. Yeah. That during the colonial era, uh, eating a pig was a, a, a very communal affair. Well, and we, we've talked before about, um, <clears throat> I just kind of remembered about fire, about the theories that language evolved because of fire, because for the first time people gathered round mm-hmm. after the sun went down to talk about right. their day. So this is kind of along those same lines. Right. Like where you have a fire going, you're going to have people hanging out. Throw some meat on a spit several feet up. Mm-hmm. You got some tasty food. Yep. Get yourself a turnspit dog. <laughs> uh, yeah, because who wants to crank that thing? A turnspit dog. That's, That's right. what they were bred to do. So uh, Native Americans uh, here, they kind of improve things over time. They eventually would make uh, these wooden frames uh, that they would put the meat on. 
And then in 1897, a man named Ellsworth Zwoyer uh, patented the charcoal briquette, uh, which started being mass produced about 23 years later. Yeah, do you know by whom? Well, I would imagine, uh, uh, what's the big one now? Kingsford? Yeah. Kingsford was Henry or, or Ford's. Or Matchlight. Johnny Matchlight. <laughs> Kingsford was Henry Ford's cousin-in-law. Okay. And Henry Ford was looking for a way to use all of these stumps and sawdust that was left over from the boards that were produced for like the running boards and the dashboards for his Model T. Yeah. Because uh, he wanted, he had all this waste and he wanted to put it to good use. So he, he started mass producing charcoal briquettes. Yeah. And we're talking about wood briquettes. Yeah. Briquette is basically coal tar, sawdust, sometimes corn starch. That's like a, that's a wood briquette. Yeah. Or now the wood briquettes, a lot of times it's just real wood, mm. like chunks of wood. Gotcha. Uh, like if you're a real barbecue enthusiast, you're not going to be buying these, uh, cement briquettes. Sure. You buy some of those, get some open pit barbecue sauce and you're done. Just <laughs> go back to bed. Um, 1950s, a man named George Stephen, he's a metal worker. He uh, got uh, half, uh, attached some legs to a half of a spherical nautical buoy. It was the other half of a lid. and said, I'm going to call this the Weber Kettle Grill. I don't know where he got the name. I don't either. Uh, did you notice there's a Weber Grill restaurant in Chicago? We oh, saw, really? We saw it walking around. Yeah, they have a giant Weber Grill outside. It's amazing. I have a giant Weber Grill on my deck. So I thought it was weird to point this out because he was far from the first person to invent the portable backyard grill. Oh, really? Yeah, the they've grill? been around for a long time. Well, maybe it was just the kettle grill. I, yeah, he definitely invented the kettle grill, but he was. it's just weird that they, they chose him to point out because the backyard portable grill had been around a while. Well, maybe it was this article was underwritten by Weber. Maybe. Who knows? <laughs> I just outed it. And I just like... Buzz marketed them as owning one. Weber. I own two. Whoa. I know, right? So the smoke is really, uh, I mean, slow and low is what we're talking about temperature-wise, and we'll get into the specifics of that in a minute. But uh, what you're really doing is you're you're getting the smoke from whatever type of wood or wood briquette that you were using in the fire. Um, and we're going to talk about those flavors now. But my advice, if you're new to this, you've never done it, go out and get some different samples of these various woods. And you don't even need to cook with them at first. Just light them and smell the smoke and see what you like. And then whatever you're drawn to, use that. Good advice. But uh, starting out, uh, if you want to talk barbecue, um, hickory in the South was widely used. And most of these regionally were used because that obviously was the wood they had near there. Right. So hickory was abundant in the South. Uh, a little sweet, uh, very rich, uh, good for Good for everything. Especially monkey eyes. <laughs> mesquite. Uh, Texas, uh, this is where you get the, the more mesquite flavor. And apparently uh, the mesquite wood was sort of a nuisance. But in Texas, they got on the beef train, right? obviously, and said this stuff, uh, mesquite wood is really good for beef. Yeah. What else? Um, apparently fruit wood is good for things like chicken and seafood. I didn't right. know that. I can buy that. I always think of bacon when I think of applewood. Yeah, applewood smoked bacon. Yeah. That's a thing. Um, but yeah, I think that's good advice. Just whatever you like is, is what you should use. Yeah. And if you don't, uh, have time to invest in a, um, wood burning briquette, like if you have a propane stove, uh -huh. um, you can always, I know it's not going to be as authentic, but you can always just cheap out and get a, one of those pans that you can keep the, uh, the wood on mm. and soak it right. and, and that'll, that'll give you some extra flavor. Sure. But it's not going to be anything like, you know, 12 hours over a fire. Right. Like a wood fire. Right. You know? No. And if you're, if you're starting to get the impression that there's a certain level of purity. Oh yes. To the idea of barbecuing. Yes. You, you're absolutely correct. And I'm not a purist. I'm an amateur. Like I, I don't have a smoker right. at this point. So don't at this point, Maybe yeah, Weber will send you one. At some point, I should, I should probably get one for free. Um, so one of the other things that really distinguishes different types of barbecue, especially regionally, is, or even down to like the individual chef mm -hmm. or pit master, as we'll see they're called. Um, although I guess I just spoiled that, uh, is how you get the meat ready 
to cook. Yeah. Right. So there's, there's really a lot of differences in that you're, you're getting the meat ready to cook. And then what you do to the meat afterward too is huge as well. Yeah. But to get it ready, there's one of two things you're going to do to the meat. You're going to either hit it with a dry rub or you're going to hit it with a wet rub. You're yeah. going to do something ahead of time. And you're going to talk to it nicely. Sure. While you spank it. Mm-hmm. And, um, with the dry rub in particular, supposedly there's four S's. There is, are you ready for this? Yeah. Okay. Sweetness. Yeah. Sugar or honey. Uh-huh. Typically. Savory. Like say garlic. Yeah. Spices and herbs and spicy sensations like pepper or something or ginger. Mm-hmm. That's way more S's than four, especially if you count all the pluralization S's. Yeah. You ever made a rub? Uh, no, not really. You into this at all? Do you do barbecue? No, I, I don't barbecue, but I'm into eating barbecue. You should, uh, you get into this stuff now with cooking. Like I could see you smoking a brisket one day and being like, wow. Yeah. That was rewarding. Yeah. Give it a shot. Okay. <laughs> um, also, you also strike me as a type that would be like, I, I don't have time to tend to a grill for 12 hours. Well, I mean, if there's, if, if, yeah, maybe. Just pick the right day. Yeah. I could study for the podcast while I'm tending to the fire. So I have made dry rubs and I don't know what I'm doing. I just will look at recipes and uh-huh. then just kind of do my own thing with it. Um, but it really makes all the difference if you rub this meat down real good. Right. Get it in all the crevices and, and nooks and crannies and, and let it, let it just sit with itself for a while. Sure. Um, I don't add any wetness to it, but you can add vinegar, you can add oil. Um, if you've never done it, like I said, get online. There's a million different ways you can oh, yeah. tackle this beast. Yeah. If you be careful, cause that's what they call a rabbit hole. Yeah. You're going to fall down it when you start just looking into rubs. I'm sure that'll lead you to this and that. And oh, then, yeah. Well, actually, I'm kind of into the Memphis style and that kind of thing. Yeah. So, um, after, after you also want to make a hundred percent sure that you're aware of this to start that barbecue sauce. Is the stuff you put on right before serving mm-hmm. or while you're eating, depending. Um, or not at all if you're not into it. Sure. Some people just eat like dry, dry or wet rubbed, like barbecue. Yeah. Um, I, I love it with sauce. Yeah. It I just seems too. wrong to eat it without sauce. But yeah, some people are into it like that. Um, but that's not what a rub is, dry or wet. That's, Correct. that's the sauce. That's different. And yes. we'll talk about that in a little bit. And you kind of gave a little, um, distinction between, you gave a definition of barbecuing, right? Yeah. And I said that, that like roasting meat is basically barbecuing any type of roasting meat, but there's, there's slight definitions. One of the things that comes up is the difference between barbecuing and grilling. And this one's actually kind of easy. The distinction is it's based on time and temperature. Yeah. So with, with the barbecue, you do that slow and low thing where you're roasting for several hours over a relatively low heat. Uh, this article says 225 to 250. I wonder if that's canon. Uh, well, I mean, it depends. Definitely in the low 200s is a good idea, I think. Right. 250 seems a little high, but, um, I'm no expert. Uh, but grilling is hotter and faster. Yeah. And with grilling, I mean, there are a couple of ways you can grill too. You can, uh, direct grill, which is just really high heat if you want to, um, sear a steak or something, but that's not barbecue. Um, and then indirect grilling when it's on the grill at around 350, but you've just got the coals kind of on one side and then your meat on the other. Right. And that's, it's kind of the middle ground. But the, the verb barbecue, it's very highly regionalized as to what terminology you're going to use. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't say I'm going to barbecue today. Like I say, I'm going to grill out. Like, oh, Do you yeah. want to come over? Or I'm grilling out. Uh, I but don't say we're barbecuing. Some people might say smoke instead of barbecue. Yeah. We're going to smoke out. We're going to, sm- <laughs> we're going to smoke some meat or something like that. Right. Yeah. Um, but I, I think of barbecue as the noun, like we'll go get some barbecue or cook some barbecue right. by grilling out. Yeah. It's always out because you don't grill inside. No, that's a bad idea. <laughs> um, and then. Afterwards, so we've done preparation, uh-huh. the cooking, and now the thing's ready, but it's not ready quite yet because you got the sauce if you're into sauces. 
And depending on where you are in the country, uh, you're going to use different types of sauce. And what I found interesting was that with American barbecue, the, the Europeans who came and appropriated the barbecuing process brought their own tastes to the fold. And depending on where they settled, that's that area developed a specific type of barbecue sauce, starting with the Carolinas. Yeah, this kind of reminds me of the accents thing. It was, it was mm-hmm. like the trail that uh, the accents, as the accents developed, as where people settled, like food was kind of secondary to that. Right. Or hand in hand with that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, North Carolina uh, and Virginia, uh, these were British colonists mainly, and they liked tart, tarty things. So you're going to find more vinegar-based sauces there. Right. Uh, until you get to South Carolina, where you have uh, the French and the Germans who liked mustard, so they have the mustard-based sauce. I don't think I've ever had that. Uh, Yeah, I'm not a fan. I mean, I don't not like it, but it's never going to be my first choice. Uh, what was? Do you remember when we hosted that locust thing on Science Channel and oh, we went yeah. to that barbecue place? Yes. It was like a legendary barbecue place in South Carolina. No, Greensboro, North Carolina. Yeah, that was really neat. Yeah, so they had like the good vinegar sauce. Yeah, just seeing the inner machinations of how a big barbecue place works. Right, yeah. They took us back to where the, Fascinating. the, the fire was. And, yeah. Yeah, it was pretty good. And hot. Uh, if you go a little further west, well, about as far west as you can to the other end of the barbecue belt, you're in Texas. Yep. West Texas, to be specific. Apparently in East Texas, they eat basically like Kansas City barbecue or Memphis maybe. But in West Texas, they get their own. And like you said, they're not even using pork. It's beef. They're cooking brisket over mesquite. That's Texas cowboy-style barbecue, which some people would argue is not actually barbecue. Uh, yeah, and that's because of the German immigrants who uh, raise cattle in the West, in West Texas. Yeah. Um, I love brisket. So Yeah, I've got no problems with brisket. And pulled pork. I mean, I like them both. Right. Like when I order like a catered, if I'm having like a big party or something, I order a catered barbecue. I get mm-hmm. one of each. The one, Yeah, the one thing I'm not crazy about is... Uh, Barbecued chicken. I like it. I mean, I make it at home because that's a quicker, easier thing to do, just like for dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't ever order that in a barbecue restaurant. Right. I just do that. No, what a waste. Yeah, I do that home cooking. Sure. Uh, Memphis style. Um, they were a port town because of the Mississippi River right there. Mm-hmm. And so they could get molasses more readily. So that's why Memphis has a very uh, sweet tomato-based sauce. Yeah. Delicious. Which And then, have you heard of Alabama barbecue before? I had not. (laughs) So the way that this article puts it, it's a lesser-known style from northern Alabama, involving a white sauce made with mayonnaise, vinegar, and lemon juice. For some reason, that use of the word involving makes it sound like they're talking about some unpleasant business, (laughs) which is hilarious. It doesn't sound very good, but I would try it. I've had that white sauce. I don't think I knew it was Alabama-specific. Oh, really? Yeah, but I've had it before. Okay. Well, Um, so... Perhaps you can answer this one for me. Okay. What is Georgia barbecue? Is it just basically like a ripoff of North Carolina? I don't know, man. Like, we'll we'll get slayed for this because we live in Georgia and I eat at barbecue places all over town. Yeah, I guess it's its own thing, but uh, it doesn't seem it's it, it's a tart. It's a tart vinegary based sauce but sweet as well well there can most of the places i see in atlanta have both they'll have have the vinegar sauce or the or the sweet sauce like the really thick and i think kansas city is uh barbecue is sort of known um henry perry settled there and opened up one of the first barbecue restaurants Mm -hmm. and i think they kind of pulled from memphis a little bit i think they drew influences from all over because they were last yeah and uh, but I think Kansas City is generally known for that kind of sweet and tangy sauce. But yeah. but ones in Atlanta I've seen kind of have all kinds. But it's typically pork, although they'll have brisket on the menu. But most people, when they think of barbecue in the South or in Georgia, think of pulled pork. I think people think of both. Oh, or, really? Or maybe I'm just saying that because I do. Well, I don't know. There's a lot of transplants in Atlanta, so maybe oh, that's for sure. it. You know. What well, What's your favorite place in Atlanta? Uh. It depends on what you're looking for. Oh, okay. It's ribs. Obviously, Fat Matt's Rib Shack okay. is the real deal. Yeah. Um, uh, wings, okay. chicken, Fox Brothers, obviously. Oh, okay. Oh, so good. Yeah, their wings are good and their sauce is good, too. And then for pulled pork, there's a place on Peachtree Industrial 
and it doesn't even have a name. It just says like Brick Pit Barbecue, uh-huh. but it's not even the name of the place. They're just saying like they have a Brick Pit <laughs> like, Barbecue. It's like that old timey. <laughs> yeah. And um, it, you can tell like that same fire has been going since the late 60s. Yeah. And it is just amazing. Just for like a regular old pulled pork sandwich with like really good Brunswick stew and then like that plain white hamburger bun. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Mm. What about yours? Uh, I like Fox Brothers okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it's good. Um, my favorite barbecue is community barbecue. Um, yeah, I've never had that. It's really good. I mean, I guess you call that Decatur. Uh, it's in that shopping center with, it's kind of the best food restaurant shopping center in Atlanta mm-hmm. because it's got a Thai place, uh, an Italian place, a barbecue joint, a, uh, an Indian restaurant. Uh-huh. Uh huh. That's not true. I have eaten there. It is good. So it's got like, Seven restaurants and all of them are a different ethnicity. Right. Um, which obviously wasn't an accident. I don't know who owns that, but like kudos yeah, to them. Hats off. Uh, but community barbecue is just the best. Their brisket is unbelievable and their mac and cheese is indescribably good. Wow. It's the that's best really saying something thing. because usually mac and cheese is terrible at a restaurant. Oh man. Stuff is so good. Yeah. It's I'll ridiculous. Have to, I'll have to try it. You see them making it sometimes and like if you walk, uh, to go to the restroom, you'll see in the kitchen they're making these pans of mac and cheese. And I don't know how much cheese goes into it or the different kinds, mm-hmm. or and they have cream and stuff, heavy cream, sure. but it's just ungodly the amount of cheese they're putting on this. Right. Well, it makes it good. They don't call it mac and some cheese. Uh, all right. Let's take a break. And we're going to talk about uh, sides and uh, a little bit about politics and barbecue around the world. Finish up. Take it home, Chuck. All right. We got to talk about sides for a minute. We, we, I got literally watery in the mouth talking about <laughs> mac and cheese at community. Mm-hmm. Um, but typical sides are, uh, like I said earlier, maybe some coleslaw, which will also vary by region. Yeah. Um, Brunswick stew, which it said in here was originally squirrel meat, but chicken will do. I've only had pork. Yeah. Same here. Uh, Brunswick stew. Never had squirrel Brunswick stew. Not into that. Sounds like a Mike Huckabee dish. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, baked beans. Sure. I make really good baked beans. That's sort of the dish I will volunteer to bring to any cookout uh-huh. or Chuck's baked beans. That's ironic because I make a good farty sound with my armpit. <laughs> That's what you bring to barbecues. Yep. Um, what else? Well, French fries. Uh it depends on the restaurant, but they usually be some kind of like French fries or something like that. To me, if you can, if you can wolf down anything besides the barbecue, uh-huh. they're not giving you enough barbecue. Like, yes, it's nice to have some sides or whatever, but like, it's the barbecue that's the point. Sure. And I think you should be able to get full just off of the barbecue. That's my opinion. Do right. you like it chopped or, uh, oh, I guess you're doing the pork. So it's pulled pork, pork. Yeah. See, brisket, they'll slice it, but I like it chopped for a sandwich. Right. Um, and I do like to mix the bris- chopped brisket up with the sauce. Yeah. So good. Oh, man, I'm really... And I ate lunch, and I'm still just, like, super hungry. I <laughs> know. It's good stuff. Um, politics is often uh, has long been linked to barbecue. Uh, way back in the old days of the, the colonies and the early days of American politics... They found a good way to get a lot of people together, talk to them about stuff, was to promise them food. Well, no, remember, it grew out of this tradition of we just killed a pig, so everybody come gather around, we're going to cook it and eat it together. Yeah. And then politicians started showing up at these things or holding them themselves. Yeah. But yeah, there's a long tradition of, of politics and barbecues. And apparently, um, 4th of July, which you think of as barbecue, like, a holiday yeah. here in the States. Um, that's long been a barbecue holiday. That's nothing new. Oh, for sure. 
Uh, and apparently they used to get drunk and barbecue and read the for the, the uh, Declaration of Independence. Yeah, that was the big the big <laughs> the big uh, fourth thing. Uh, in the 1830s, they um, they were such a big hit in the South. They started kind of spreading out uh, politically in 1836. That was uh, Daniel Webster, U.S. Senator. He was a Whig. We should do something on the Whigs. Sure. I like those dudes. Um. He gave a two-hour speech at a barbecue in St. Louis. So did uh, candidate William Henry Harrison. It just became a tool at, you know, at these rallies to get folks together and feed them, almost bribe them well, with food and booze. Was it called like plying the planters with bumbo or something? Yeah, that was from the... Uh, the bars episode. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, it's like, here, eat these ribs and drink all of this uh, uh, bourbon. Yeah. And uh, don't forget to vote for me. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Uh, And throughout the years of many, many presidents have uh, thrown big, big barbecues from uh, Lyndon Johnson to the Bushes. Um, Not sure what's going on today. Trump doesn't strike me as a hit master. No, (laughs) no. But Johnson apparently had something called barbecue diplomacy out on his ranch in Texas. He'd he'd Uh throw huge barbecues, invite uh vips and say hey I, I want you to sign this bill okay yeah look at me i'm lbj <laughs> that's that's nothing like LBJ. i think it does uh it was um obviously uh slavery in the united states played a big part because um part of the uh sort of facade of treating uh slaves to a big barbecue as a reward for being slaves um was something that happened on plantations right um, but on the flip side um, slaves would also have barbecues and go over plans for a rebellion. Yeah. Uh, I think the Nat Turner rebellion was uh, planned over a barbecue. Right. Uh, or escape, uh, via the Underground Railroad. And in the civil rights movement in the 1950s and 60s was, uh, barbecue was a lot of times these barbecue restaurants in the South were sort of the meeting places and headquarters. Yeah. And what's weird, um, especially in the Jim Crow era was that Barbecue places were segregated. Um, so you'd have like, um, black owned barbecue joints, white owned barbecue joints. Yeah. Um, but the thing about barbecue is that it kind of transcends race and class. For sure. In, in that, like everybody in the South loves barbecue, right? Yeah. Um, and apparently during the Jim Crow era, uh, white people would sneak over to black owned barbecue joints that had superior barbecue. Yeah. And get their takeout and go. Um, and the, the reason they were able to do this is because at the time, and still in some places today, but at the time, barbecue joints were almost exclusively takeout. And the reason they were takeout was because they were the evolution of a barbecue pit. And the pitmaster role, especially in the antebellum uh, South, usually went to um, a slave. Right. So you, if you were a slave who was the pit master on a whole plantation, you knew how to cook some meat and you know how to cook it really well for a lot of people, both, um, enslaved and not. But right? you, you probably didn't care about running a restaurant. No, but after, uh, after, uh, reconstruction yeah. or during reconstruction, after the civil war, all of a sudden you found yourself with a, a extremely unique talent. Mm-hmm. And so maybe like during the week you would go to work maybe as a sharecropper. And then on the weekend, maybe you would be the pit master for your church. Right. And then people would say, this is so good. You should, you know, you should sell this. So all of a sudden you build a shack around your pit and all of a sudden you have a bit of a, a joint. So you put up a couple of stools and people come and you have a window and they get their takeout and go. And then the car comes along and all of a sudden your barbecue sh- uh, jo- joint is like a destination that people are going to on their road trips and then that's how the barbecue joints developed yeah i think i mean that's one of the coolest things about it to me in the south is that despite our uh very checkered and dark past um and uh even though a lot of that racism obviously is still around um if you go into a barbecue joint in atlanta you're gonna find all stripes of people all classes of people uh, sitting side by side, enjoying food together, right, and being really friendly to one another, and talking about the food. Yeah, um, like you know, you'll see some like Wall Street dude with his tie flipped over so he doesn't get it uh, dirty mm-hmm. uh, next to a guy that's um, just come back, you know, fishing with a bunch of catfish in his cooler. Uh-huh. 
uh, feeding each other, drinking sweet tea. Yeah. Um, it's just like, I don't know. It's cool, man. Go to like a, a tailgate at a Falcons game sometime. If you think like the South is so divided still and you'll see people getting along yeah. for the most part. In that case, the only loser is the pig <laughs> who are way smarter than we tend to think. That there's probably a T-shirt at some barbecue restaurant. Sure. The only loser here is the pig. Which, and this has struck me for a very long time. Using a pig as a mascot for a barbecue place is so sad. Right. It's so sad. Yeah. It's uh, like if McDonald's instead of the Golden Arches had just a big cow. Yeah, a cow serving a platter of hamburgers. That's what they do. Or the ones that have wings because they're dead. Oh, right. Because you're eating them. <laughs> uh Talking about civil rights movement, though, um, in Atlanta, we had a very famous restaurant here that was uh, kind of one of the headquarters for uh, Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah. Have you heard of that place? Yeah. Alex, uh, A-L-E-C-K, uh, Barbecue Heaven, was this legendary Atlanta place. That mm-hmm. um, Is it still around? Well, no. You want to know. know what it is now? No, I don't. Eminent Domain came in, uh, took it over, and it's now a Walmart. Mm. I know. <laughs> Wow, really? It's like you literally couldn't have written a worse outcome. I don't know. They could have put up a Texas barbecue place instead. Well, that's true. <laughs> uh, and here's the thing, though. They had a, uh, for many years after uh, Dr. King died, there was a um, sort of a shrine to him in this restaurant still. Sure. Like this is kind of where they met and this is where it happened. And um, for many years, that was maintained and maintained. And I think uh, in Walmart originally, they had that. Now it's in the middle of boys' apparel. I don't know where it was, but I think they actually referenced that or had photos commemorating that or something gotcha. for a little while, but then took it out mm. because they, um, oh man, what was the quote? They they didn't think it represented uh, the brand in in the right way or something. Huh. I, I need to look it up. I wish I yeah, I gotta go like check that, that out in there. But um, yeah, it's a Walmart. It's right over sort of uh, in the Atlanta uh, University Center near, kind of right near downtown. Okay. Yeah, like right next to uh, Morris Brown and Clark Atlanta. Man, come on. I know. Uh, You got anything else? No, I mean, we hit a little bit on barbecue around the world. Um, We're not going to get too much into it, but obviously if you've had jerk chicken or... um, Barbacoa. Or, yeah, or Korean-style barbecue. Which, supposedly, we should say barbacoa is the word that DeSoto reported back to Europe about barbecuing. Yeah. And they think it's a corrupted Taino word. But they, they don't have any Taino Indians to ask because the Europeans kill them all off. So no one thought to ask <laughs> them first before they all died. That's a sad ending. Yeah. Yeah, I got nothing else. Okay. Well, if you want to know more about Martin Luther King Jr., the Taino Indians, pigs, barbecue, Texas, all that stuff, you can type those words in the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. Since I said search bar, it's time for listener mail. Hey, guys. Just wanted to share with both of you a Vice News short documentary that came out tonight. It includes lots of great footage and firsthand accounts of the streets of Charlottesville. Hmm. Uh, he's This is in real time where the events in Charlottesville... Virginia have just happened. Um, he sent. Have you seen this documentary yet? No, I haven't. By this time, it will have aired on HBO on the Vice Show, but uh, it's out online now. And I encourage everybody. This is Chuck speaking. Have you seen it? Yeah. Wow. Uh, it's only twenty minutes long. Uh, sit through it all. It's extremely hard to watch. I'll bet. Very, very upsetting. Uh, and I watched it just before we came in here to record, which is, is it, a big mistake. Is it sensationalized or true to true life? No, I mean, it's, it's, they, they got a camera and a, and a young woman to report kind of right in the middle of it all. Man. So she interviews white nationalists. She interviews, uh, people, um, fighting back against white nationalists. It's, um, just in their own words, basically. Like, here's a microphone. What do you have to say? Yeah, I gotta check that out. Yeah, it's not, uh, not fun. Uh, racism and ignorance, back to the mail. Uh, racism and ignorance on this scope are abhorrent and things that just, uh, need to be widely denounced in American discourse. As a UVA alum, I just want to say this rally does not represent the feelings and attitudes of the university or surrounding city, which has actually garnered a reputation as a refugee city in recent years. And I think most people know that this, these people came from all over the country and other countries, uh, these white nationalists. Well, the whole reason they came is because Charlottesville's 
taking down their Confederate memorial, right? To Robert E. Lee? That that was the uh, the guise under which they met. I see. But it, it was clearly much more than that. Yeah. Uh, that's where they, they met up, at least, with their uh, uh, Walmart tiki torches, <laughs> which was hysterical and sad. Uh, I have been avidly listening to your podcast for about a year now, and serendipitously enough, I happened upon your episode on free speech this Friday uh, of the protest on campus. Uh, I'm not one to strike down American liberties, uh, liberties by any means, but it does make me wonder how things might be different in our society. We did have some kind of restrictions on things like hate speech uh, and broadcasting certifiably false information. Uh, just as a thought experiment, while I have been an open advocate for uh, environmental protection at many times in my life, this is the first time in my life that I've openly posted uh, for a cause involving racism and bigotry. Uh, I shared both the Vice News video and your free speech podcast to all my Facebook friends. And I seek to be more uh, more public advocate for equality from here on out. Uh, keep on doing great things. Your empathy, humor, and curiosity are greatly appreciated. Uh, this is from John uh, in Washington, D.C. Nice, John. Thank you very much. And I encourage everyone, just Google Vice News Charlottesville. Watch that 20 minutes. And I would really be interested if anyone can write in and defend anything that was going on there uh and if uh like john you want to let us know about something you think we should see we're always down for that you can tweet to us at sysk podcast or josh um clark can hang out with us at facebook.com slash stuff you should know or slash charles w chuck bryant you can send us an email to stuff podcast at howstuffworks.com as always join us at our home on the web stuff you should know.com For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF. 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful. Because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really needs your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.